Welcome team, and you know when I say team, I want to expose you to people at the top of their game, no matter what their game is. Uh, today, I'm bringing you someone who's been at the top of his game as an athlete, and now I look at him, I'm sitting in his office as in at the Perth Glory, the football director, Jacob Burns, a very good friend of mine, and I'm so pumped to bring him on. For the listeners, if you don't follow football, I still want you to hang in here, because this is going to be one hell of a chat. This episode of GTE is brought to you by Pain Away, Australia's number one joint and muscle relief since 1999. Find out more at painaway.com. Jacob, we are going to go straight to Leeds United. When they were at the top of their game, they were the year 2000, they were, you're talking like, give me some of the names you played with. You, so, sorry, how old were you? So 20 years old. 20 years First of all, thanks for having me on. It's, yeah, of course. It's Sorry, wonderful to be on and time reunite with a, with an old school f- uh, pal and uh, a lot of history. So it's uh, it's fantastic to be on. But yeah, we go all the way back to uh, Leeds and our history goes back further than that. But Leeds as a 20-year-old um, signed with them in the 99-2000 period where uh, uh, great players and a successful run where we uh, went to the Champions League semi-final and lost to Valencia. Um, and had a hell of a ride knocking out some of the biggest teams in the world in Real Madrid and AC Milan and Lazio of the likes and playing alongside, um, you know, huge players like Rio Ferdinand, Jonathan Woodgate, uh, Mark Viduka, Oliver Decourt, um, just to name a few. I think we... Uh, Harry Kill was that his Harry Kill, yeah. Of Aussie listeners remember Yeah, him. yeah. We had uh, not only in the first team, but uh, we had a lot of Aussie boys coming through, through the ranks in Shane Kensville Sheriff and Jamie McMaster, but... Um, yeah, fantastic time and uh, really nice to have some fellow Aussies over there that we had a lot of history with um, to kind of make you feel at home when you're on the other side of the, of the world in the freezing cold. The reason I wanted to start there, I wanted to paint a picture. A kid from Western Sydney, if anyone knows football, they know you as just a tough, hard-working player. But you've jumped on a plane, you've gone to one of the biggest clubs in the world, in English Premier League, and you were thrown straight into the Champions League, am I right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, um, Should we divulge the match bonuses we were on back then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't see many bonuses like that these days, and nor do I give them out to any of our players. Uh, but yeah, it was a really surreal kind of time. I think if I, if I go back to the kind of late 90s and I suppose my involvement um, in the semi-pro NSL league and, and really being hardened by starting young and developing amongst men really kind of gave me that um, opportunity to go over there full of belief and full of mental strength to be able to um, A, you know, make an EPL squad but also B, you know, start and start to play and and dominate in there um, in a team, like you mentioned, full of, you know, huge stars. So um, I think we all dreamt as as young guys, you know, watching um, some of the pioneers over in the EPL and the various leagues in the world that hopefully one day you could get there. But for me, being involved in the Oli Roos um, and working towards the Sydney 2000 Olympics, it was really on the forefront of a lot of the players' minds of who was going to take you um, before the the Olympics or after or how you're going to perform to get there. So um, it started with a number of um, uh, some old faces you would know in Brett Emerton and Jason Kalina and players signing um, before the actual 2000 Olympics. So that was... Um, you know, all talked about. We were constantly playing friendly games over with the national team and uh, scouts were coming and invitations were coming. So a lot of that stemmed and I, and I went before for, before the Olympic Games. So it was, um, you know, I remember the phone call, um, you know, uh, from, from the agent 
to say we will go in there first of all uh, to go and trial and have a kick around because I come out of an Olympic camp up in the Gold Coast of the Royal Pines I had uh, agreed terms to go to La Liga in Spain with a team called Salamanca in La Liga and I was just going to fly out of the, the camp to go and do a medical there um, lo and behold waiting for the flight details and, and ready to go and the day before they sacked the head coach and, and the president of the club so the deal fell over um, otherwise it would have been a, probably a totally different pathway um, so my agent um, then said had lined up um, these other scouts that have been watching in Leeds and Sheffield United and, and uh, Millwall um, to go to England um, that was a hard conversation to get out of the camp to be able to change the pathway um, and I think that really helped me you know, doing well over there being fit coming out of the camp and going into that, that uh, atmosphere with some fellow Aussies already there in, in uh, Harry Kill um, and Mark was, was signed and arriving at the same time um, and the rest is really history the, the kind of role that the, the, the roller coaster ride and the success that we've had uh, in them kind of three and a half years there was you know um, was a wonderful time for me personally but also uh, for young Aussies uh, over that period of time well you said a couple of interesting things there that will relate to a lot of listeners here you are hardened young you were hard and young you you were playing what pro league or semi-pro league at, as a 16 year old is that right yeah. united yeah de- uh yeah i debuted um yeah when i was I think 15 and 11 months got my first kind of couple of games under manfred schaefer then branco kalina came in and by 17 was a regular 16 17 started becoming a regular and we had great success in winning minor premierships and making grand finals with sydney croatia and it was a real um you know uh development club they were really giving young guys a go um i moved across there when i was 15 and i remember the marconis and um the 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 marconis of the world were signing you know big stars and i i specifically chose sydney croatia because there was an opportunity for young guys to come through um and that league in itself you were developing amongst um some of the best you know you, you look yeah, at yeah. Where, where we are now and you know the Tony Popovics and the Joko Kallets of, of the world had all come through Yante Milicic and Dave Zulic all, all of these guys had come through that development pathway and I was really um, you know honing my craft through these guys as a young guy so it um, it, it it proved to be, although you don't real, realise it at the time, um, one of the best apprenticeships to go through um, yeah, well, and gave me the tools and to... And now you signed Tony as the head coach of the Perth Glory. Yeah. So you've signed the coach that mentored you. Yeah. That's, fan- that's a great story. Yeah, 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 a fellow teammate. So, yeah, um, yeah if I think, you know, you find that in, in all walks of life in sport that um, it becomes a small family, that you're never too far away from someone you've played with, played against or, or worked alongside. And... Um, and, and a lot of like-minded things. We've, you, when you come through certain generations and eras, um, you find that uh, you take a little piece of all that knowledge and development. And what we're finding now, particularly uh, here at the Club at Perth Glory, is that we have a lot of like-minded guys that have come through similar periods, similar challenges, have, have applied their trade um, as players overseas and harnessed a lot of them um, a lot of the knowledge through the coaches we've worked through and players we've worked alongside and trying to instill that now in, in some of the young Aussie guys coming through. Yeah, well, you obviously loved the character traits of Tony as a player and you followed his career, but you obviously, when you searched far and wide for a coach, you you value those character traits that he gave you that impression 25, 30 years ago. So it's funny how the world works like that. Then, yeah. You know, and I think it's a great story. I've, I've observed you guys in training today and I see just a rock-solid team of staff. 
uh, Hayden Fox the same. You guys seem like you're just best of mates, but there's this really f- strong foundation of trust there that I can feel. Back on the Leeds United, though, you mentioned something there too about you were ready for your opportunity by staying fit. That's some great advice to some kids out there. Like You were given an opportunity, and I dare say your first impression on the very first day of training do you remember your first day yeah. of training? I dare say yeah. the first impression was just of a hungry kid because the listeners don't know, I was actually the conditioning coach of your team, Parramatta Power, back in the day. That's and right. The first impression I ever had of you, I mean, I already knew you as a mate, but as a pro, was just this absolute true pro there was probably about two or three of you in that team at the time that you knew on day one they are destined for bigger things there was yourself there was Miles Tajowski there was Joel Griffiths I mean he was a bit more relaxed and that is very gifted and talented not bad looking bloke as well he did pretty well there um but uh you you and Millet in particular my very first impression was how hungry you were and you were always going to move on. And it didn't take long. You were straight on the plane. So, Yeah, and I think that's where it starts. I think it starts from, um, you know, a young kid. It starts with a dream and then working towards that dream. And, uh, and I, was, I, was big on, um, I was big on that as a young kid, you know, big on harnessing that kind of mental strength and that side of, uh, of sport and, and really exhausting every little part of your game to be at the best, uh, whether that was, you know... Um, you know, strengthening the body and your correctives or living the right way. Um, I knew that every little detail would, would count to give you every chance to get that one opportunity to go because I think what a lot of listeners um, need to know is that, uh, you know, young Aussies going over to Europe where it's a number one top tier sport, um, you've got to be not equal to a young English guy coming through and the talent pool's so big. You've got to be better than, than the guy next to you. You've got to prove why a young Aussie guy is going to go over there and take you know, their living out of their hands, which is not easy to do. Yeah. And I think it's a reverse here in Australia. We're such, Aussies are such welcoming people. You know, I, I think here at the club and I see you know, our visa guys come in and the first thing they come into is, uh, you know, what are you doing tonight? You want to come around for a barbecue? We'll take you out to dinner. And it's very different when you're in Europe. You know, that, that you have to earn that right and you... you um, you have to prove your ability is greater than to be able to be accepted by the group. It's it's a, a real dog eat dog, and um, it's not easy. I always look at young guys that go now, and you see the ones that stay over there, and and they've been to maybe two or three clubs, and you know they've got something special about them because it ain't easy to go over there and stay there. You might be able to pick up one contract there once, but um, the ones that are very good, they stay over there for the length of time, and they might change clubs a few times. But I think that's a real test of the character and the mental uh, state of the guys that go over there. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, so... Well, uh, actually, I remember, I come to watch you train at Leeds United, and it was like a battle. Like, you were like... It was full on. It wasn't like some easy training session. You were fighting every day, it seemed, yeah. when I was watching. Yeah, I mean, right. that was in your nature anyway. Yeah. But it was... Every single day, you're given an impression. Um, yeah, and you think, you know, if you compare it to size of squads here in the A-League, for example, you know, we have 20, 23-man squads. It's, it's not a whole lot of depth, whereas you go to Europe and there's 35, 40-man rosters where you have five and six in every position that are battling. And you're not talking five or six. When you're in, in the Premier League, you're talking five or six internationals often yeah. in different positions. So, you know, it really you really have to be at your best. And, you know, one poor game, 
you mightn't play again for the rest of the season. And that's yeah, really yeah. the level that it's at. Whereas um, it's very different, a very different market. We're in a Caps League now um, to where where the, where the games are in Europe, uh, the funds that are pushed in, the ability to have so much depth and that much talent, including the young talent coming through. Um, it's scary. It's yeah. scary to yeah, think yeah. Of, uh, of the level. And these guys back up and play um, every couple of days. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and I know that comes down to the conditions and, and the weather and all them things come into it. But, you know, mentally strong characters, and you would have come across a lot of that when you um, go on your visits to European clubs and, and compare data and athletes together, that, um, you know, they, they come and they ask for more. You know, they yeah. ask for more. And these are some of their senior pros who are asking for more loading, for more stuff to do, and taking the game to new heights. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so interested in, in where the game's evolving because I've, I've seen it evolve from being a player um, and the time and the ball and the speed of the game. I remember coming back from Europe after 12 seasons and, you know, your weight of pass and your time on the ball and you, you were one on two seconds ahead of everyone just because of the conditions you, you'd come from. Um, almost like going into a national team camp and you have to think quick you've got to be a second quicker than everyone else and that's very much at the top level um, and now you're seeing now when you, you you know you have teams come out Manchester United were here Chelsea were here and you watch their sessions and they do similar uh, sessions where they they do everything one and one touch it's it's incredible yeah, like they all yeah, it's, yeah. it's like where we take two they'll do it in one Team and they'll one. do it with so much more pace and so much more speed um because they're developing amongst each other at the highest level so um it's so interesting to see where the game where the game's heading you mentioned speed and my big thing was i remember i used to just hammer just every split second counts every split second you know and uh you made me feel really good once I come and visit you in Leeds and you, you pulled out your game jersey, you know, your white one, the white Leeds United number 25 and you wrote on it, don't know if you remember, you actually wrote to Hayden, on any given day you make a difference, which I don't think I did in your career. You did everything, but you had this knack of making people feel good and appreciated for what they've done. It's obviously was in you from how you were brought up or something, and it's and it's done you well to now. I don't know the answer here, what I'm getting at, but you might not remember. But for a, a young conditioning coach at the time, that was a big buzz. Like, I was really proud. How good's this? Jacob's playing in the Premier League. and So I've still got that jersey. But you've always been really respectful of the game. You've always respected the game by training hard. You've respected your body like you were the ultimate pro in that area. But you respected people and teammates and coaches and talk to me about that. Like, is there something? Because it's obviously done you well. Like, here you are now. We're sitting in your office. You're heading up a club. Yeah, you're very young. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. I think that that is a huge part. I, I um, and I know that you're probably um along you know the, them same lines that um. And I, and I think when you look back at some of the most successful clubs, successful people and, and leaders, they their attention to detail, but also their respect for every person and every cog in the chain. Um, big on that. I don't think one player can do it on their own. I don't think one coach can do it on their own. I think it's, um, it's a collective and I've always thought that. Um, and I think that um, I've tried to build that here. I think that it takes time. There's always challenges and ups and downs, but every person um, has to feel their worth in the organization and have to feel like they're adding value 
and and I think that that's the only way to success from what I've seen through my experience as a player but also transitioning from a player into um, a, a sports administrator in the game that they're the little pieces that you want to embrace and bring in that you've gone through to go listen um, if it's your support staff and your PA the tea lady that Alex Ferguson used to always talk about they matter they matter to the well-being they matter to the mindset of the athlete coming in they matter to your staff yeah. and all that detail matters so we, we have a real um, no-nonsense approach. Everyone respects each other's role um, in the organisation from the football department all the way through. And everyone knows how important their role is and how much our success is on the back of every little piece that they do. And I think that um, I'll always try to drive that. I think that's, uh, that's something that um, we, we should never lose, um, even though we're in a results-based industry. They're some of the most important aspects to our success. Was this driven by your parents as a kid? Because, I mean, when you when you were that way inclined when I knew you, you were 20 years old, 22 years old, like you're talking very mature for your age and now you're you're heading a, up a club at a very young age as well. Like, you're, you're years ahead. There's something that was instilled in you somewhere yeah. that uh, you had before I met you. Yeah, I think, I think it's got to be down to your upbringing. I think, um, I think that comes from the sacrifice that you know your parents first and foremost um and the belief they put in you i think that um i was very fortunate you know i come from a, a real working class family where you know mum and dad did you know two jobs to make ends meet to provide uh an opportunity but always that encouragement and and big on them th the, the the detail and the respect and what you need to and the belief that you could make it but the only way you were going to was by hard work and no one's going to give it to you. And I think that um, that was very much my upbringing and, and very much um, I knew that that was, it didn't guarantee me the, the, the opportunity, but it gave me every chance that if the opportunity came that I would grab it with both hands. And I think that that's the way that you continue to kind of operate in your life outside of it, that I always felt very blessed. Um, you worked with a lot of the, the same players that, that you've mentioned earlier where, you know, there's, there's so many young, talented kids and some of your best mates, you know, um, weren't given that opportunity, but maybe were worthy of it, um, maybe had more talent, um, but... You know, they needed to have every other bit ticked off. And I think that uh, I, I realised that from a young age and I, and I have to credit uh, mum and dad for that, for sure. Um, and they continue to keep, you know, keep me level and, 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 and instill them qualities in my own kids now. Your own kids, yeah. I mean, you influenced, um, you influenced some players, I remember, but uh, you then moved on really quick. So the club didn't really benefit from your approach. Um, I went and visited Juventus uh, for a couple of years and most recently Ronaldo's there. Like you were, you were the, you were the young version of what I saw in it. Like, cause when, when, when I worked with them, conditioning and weight training and that wasn't really, you know, like soccer or football, as you want to call it. I still accidentally call it soccer a lot. Um, it was coming from a part-time to a full-time professionalism. You were a pro but the game wasn't yet. Like you valued strength training, you valued speed, you valued agility, you valued nutrition, your body was like Ronaldo now. But anyway, what I'm getting at, it's a fair name drop there, Ronaldo, but he's influenced that whole dressing room now. They, his staff, I said, what, what has he brought you? What, what has he brought besides obviously packing stadiums and winning him games? He said, well, he's first in the gym, he's last on the field, he's last in the gym. 
he, the whole change room has changed. They mm. used to be very relaxed and, you know, but now because he's in the gym, everyone's in the gym. Mm. That was you at Parramatta Power, but unfortunately you, you left. Yeah. <laughs> you left, but you always valued that. There's a little bit of that. Uh, I don't know where that came from in you, like you multi-sport background or um, the school you went to was a sports school, of course, yeah, yeah. but you really valued all the detail that now in the A-League is common practice, right? Yeah. Like you were probably the first in that area, you and Millet. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, and I think um, you're spot on. I think, uh, well, I've never been uh, probably uh, likened to or a Ronaldo, so I'm going to hold on to that for as long as I yeah, can. Very, <laughs> you're as fashionable, but you know as what, trendy it, as you. you yeah, dress, that's probably as close like as I get yeah. to his football ability. But, um, <laughs> but you're spot on. You know what's funny, uh, H, Your is that... Pack still like it. No, not at all. Um, but it, what is funny is that we, we uh, and I won't be speaking out of turn, but we we, sh- we actually, the head coach showed um, some footage of Juve the other day, and it was uh, particularly Ronaldo, and it was all around his professionalism at his age of someone that is still doing it so you know he's at the top of his game still scoring goals at you know 35 36 years of age but he's still the first in there yeah he's still doing the extras and still yeah still practices the most and i think that's a a real i felt like that was a real duty i think i felt like as a as um i suppose i felt um leadership qualities from from a young age but i felt like that you need to drag people along that if you're not doing it um and not setting the example then no one's going to do it um i think the other thing i was very aware it it makes me laugh when you mention ronaldo and i think what i realized when i was really really young that um what my skill set was you know i was i could read the game i wasn't incredibly quick over a long distance but i was quick in the short um i was I strong and physical yeah you, you and you and you and <laughs> rightly so um but I, and i had you know you, you talked about a multi-sport background i played a lot of league as a kid um parents all and and family were all around league um played tennis all these mental um parts of other sports i kind of thought I saw the benefit in it. Like tennis, I saw the benefit of um, it's only you. You've got to play each point, each moment. You've got to be able to forget about it and move on and, and with the next point. And it's all on you. So that, that mental strength for me was huge from that. You realize a little bit later that, um, you know, really kind of helped that ability. Uh, the physicality of the rugby. So in my position, I, I knew that I was a defensive midfielder. I wasn't pretending I was a winger and you mentioned, or, or an attacker like Ronaldo. And I wasn't blessed with all the step overs and scoring a ton of goals every game. My game and what I wanted to perfect of my game was the art of winning the ball, the art of reading the game, the art of breaking the play up, the art of being able to, to control and pivot the momentum of a game through short and long passes and range. So. I think that was a real big plus for me at a young age, knowing that that was my position. How can I be the best at that position and what's required um, in them fundamentals to be the best? It wasn't being doing tricks and juggling a ball and on your head or your nose. Um, it was controlling the tempo of the game, reading the game, breaking the play down and playing it to some of the guys that you mentioned in your Miller Stajowskis and, and Joel, for that matter, that had to score goals. That was my role in the team and I was going to try and carry that out and be the best at it. And I think that that helped me a lot in my career. Speaking of Joel, I mean, we had a little joke there about he was he was a bit more relaxed and everything, but I, I, I dare say he was a closet trainer. I dare say his background too with his father coaching and his brothers, I mean, they're all very successful. They 
they mastered the fundamentals somewhere. There's thousands of hours of practice going on there. It just at the time, it was a little bit more relaxed than you were. You just had this hunger. But I love seeing Joel now working in the game as well. Yeah. You know, I caught up with him only last year. I recorded a podcast with Laurie McKinna. Yeah. What a great bloke Laurie was. Yeah, you know, and it's great that these guys are still around in the game and still have an influence and impact on the game with so much knowledge and experience to share. But, you know, you realise later that... Um, you know, everyone uh, has a different approach and a different kind of swagger about the way they are. It doesn't mean yeah. that they're not working as hard. It doesn't mean they're not as disciplined. Yeah. Maybe when you're young, you don't realise it. Maybe young, when I was young, I probably got annoyed with, with guys and um, that I thought weren't putting in, but they, they were and they were incredible athletes and um, just had a different style. And I think you're seeing that more so in, in the generations of, uh, and players coming through now. Yeah. Um, I still I still am a little bit old school in the way I think the approach should be taken sometimes and the reminders and things that need to go into them is probably may, maybe uh, even um, emphasised even greater now um, yeah. and the pressure that comes along with it. I think that was a big, a big realisation for me is that when you play in Europe, um, it's intense you know when you're playing a, you know in the number one sport in that given country um, I was fortunate to go from the UK after seven years to to Poland uh, to Romania and Bucharest where it's it's their number one sport and it's religion it's a religion uh, people you know the fans they'll let you know about it they'll be waiting for you in the car park they'll be waiting for you when you get off a flight that is real pressure yeah. whereas um, you know it's not it's not that here and there's not a pro promotion or relegation so I would love to see the game get to that point where there's a second tier where there's a promotion and relegation where we can push what I what I feel as though is, is the best sport in the world um, because it's given me so much and, and I'm slightly biased by, by all that but I would love to see it as one of the top tier sports and the pathways for, for young kids you know being able to to stay and earn a really really great living out of the game here and, and not necessarily have to just go over to, to Asia and Europe now and we don't lose our best talent um, so early um, as much as it's happened in these days I love your passion for the game uh, I know you still love rugby league as well but I love your passion for the game uh, talk to me quickly about leadership I mean I could talk to you all day about it you be, you become you were a leader by your actions anyway as a young kid you've become a very good leader you've you've captained your teams and you're now leading an organization I, I dare say you'll be leading the whole sport one day in in Australia I, I could see that but you never had an issue making tough decisions. You never had an issue being hard on a player who's not pulling his weight. Talk to me about that because some people do. Like some people get thrust into leadership positions, but it, it's hard. It's like not everyone's born to be one, but yeah. you never had a problem. Yeah, and I, I don't think um, – I, I still don't necessarily think that an armband or um, a, a title uh, means that you're a leader. I think some of the clubs, when I think back on when I was captain at Barnsley and then here at Perth is, you know, we, we had – I was fortunate enough to have a lot of leaders around as well. Um, and I, I just felt that as a young age, it was it as was, it was much as you were saying. I, I never had a problem as a young guy telling a best mate that he was doing something silly or to pull his head in. And I sure as didn't have that on the field with a teammate, especially if we're all in it together and the ultimate goal was to try and get that result. Then it, I suppose it gets, um, 
I suppose, uh, highlighted more when you, you move into the professional uh, game where it, you're in a results-based industry. So, you know, you come under huge scrutiny. Um, so you're all really in it. So I think that helped with my transition from a young guy um, being able to, to be able to say it how it was and leave it on the pitch. I think that was a big thing for me that often uh, throughout my career when you played against players or crossover and, and I mean, you... You happen on the way into the office today, um, you know, have a have a yarn with uh, an old um, ex-player, Terry McFlynn, who was a captain for Sydney FC, who we had a lot of sledging, a lot of battles on the time. But, I, I, you know, he's one example of a, a lot of guys that you come and work with or play, players come and play with you that go, oh, you're all right. I, I, that always sticks in my head. You're actually not a bad bloke. I thought you were crazy. <laughs> I thought you hated me. I thought you wanted to kill me. And yeah, and yeah, yeah. and I used to actually, rather than take, I used to actually, um, I, I was actually happy that they, they felt that way because I felt like I wasn't doing my job. If that if they didn't feel that way about me, then um, I was giving them too much room. Um, yeah. So I, I had no problem with that. And it really helped me um, in the transition out of being a captain and a player into a role of a director of football because, you know, it, it's you've got to make tough calls. You're making tough calls on contracts. You're making tough calls on coaches. Um, and, you know, you've seen it in, in, in your line of work. That's not easy because you build, you know, fantastic rela- uh, working relationships and often their relationships extend outside uh, the work where they've been teammates and that. But, um, you know, you, you have to often make tough calls in that. So I think um, as long as you're respectful and you're doing it for all the right reasons, I think, um, and you can look at yourself in the mirror um, with that decision, because um, that's, I think, where it all starts first. Um, I think then, uh, you know, you can lie straight in bed. I love it. I could talk to you all day about this stuff. I'm, I'll wrap. I'll kind of wrap up my analogy of you right now. Is we mentioned it, and you even just said the word respect. Like you respect the game, and like you were taught as a kid. Like if you want to earn respect, you've got to give it. You know, my parents taught me that. Your parents obviously did. You respect the game, and the game is respecting you back by putting you in this position. The game respected you back by providing all those priceless memories playing throughout Europe and for your country. Your teammates, you obviously respected them and they respect you back. Anyone who ever played with will have the highest accolades to, to talk about you. You know, like they... So my thing is you respected the game in so many ways and the game is now paying you back and I think it'll continue to do that without a doubt. Um, I'm just going to finish here by telling the, the listeners my wedding proposal. Let's go there. So, you know what? I didn't even, I didn't even tell my wife's father I was going to propose, and I feel really guilty now. He's no longer with us. He was a great man, and but I wanted to even surprise him. I wanted to surprise, obviously, my girlfriend at the time. Um, I told nobody except you and Laurie McKinna, who were in on it. So. Do you have much memory of this? I do, I do. And uh, my my memory, well, I, I the funniest thing was... <laughs> Can you is believe that, we're going here on yeah, the podcast? Yeah, we're going on the yeah. podcast here because yeah. let me tell you, you, you uh, left that in my uncapable hands at such a young age. I think my old lady was dropping me to the airport, if I That's remember right. correctly. Yes. And then I, I got the call from you and I, and I had to 
if memory serves right, get some flowers. Get flowers. Get yes. flowers. So, and I, I was terrible. <laughs> I was terrible. I think I, I, I picked the worst set of flowers. So it, it speaks volumes of what she thought about you because based on the flowers alone, she probably would have said no. <laughs> no, no, no. So the story goes to the listeners. I told my girlfriend at the time, please get on the plane with the Parramatta Power. I'll, I'll be in Brisbane. I'll be waiting for you in Brisbane. I've got to go up there and check out the training facilities. But what she didn't know, I was already on the plane. At the back of the plane, hiding, ready for this uh, wedding singer type um, reenactment. So I called Jacob Burns, Jake, I need your help, mate. I'm about to propose. I don't even have any flowers. So anyway... you're harsh on yourself. You bought the best bunch of flowers. If I'd bought it, I would have bought like maybe a single rose. You you probably spent about a $100 um, easy. So anyway, the plane takes off. An announcement comes over. Uh, I propose over the voice, over the speakers. But I said, I'll be waiting for you in Brisbane for my answer. If you remember, yeah. the wedding singer the song, wedding singer song yeah, came yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're sitting there probably laughing. No one else knew. No one else knew. And Nicole's standing up, red faced. The whole plane's looking at her. And I said, I'll be waiting in Brisbane. Then the announcement said, Actually, I can't wait. Turn around and face the back of the plane. The whole plane turned around. And then I walk out with this big bunch of flowers that Jacob Burns brought for me. <laughs> and Milay Stajowski was in tears. He's a real romantic at heart. Yeah. Anyway, that's a priceless moment. Only you knew yeah. that I was a bit... No one knew. But my you, wife's father didn't know. But, you know, I, I, you knew. my, my uh, distinct memory of that is that with your romantic streak in there, you ruined it for all of us. You know that, don't you? So I was thinking, now no one has a chance. Now that now that H has done that, what can we possibly come up with? Because everyone's going to be talking about it. We're all dating girls at the time and they're all going to be thinking, oh, you're going to do something more special than that. So you ruined it for all. So we have to thank you for ruining it because you were too romantic. I was very for romantic. Nicole. And I don't think I've ever gotten that money listen. back from that no, set of I flowers. But that's did. gone. So they'd be about 250 in today's terms. So <laughs> we'll use that on a couple. Of beers. I don't think you did. I tell you what, then the memory of, I talked about Leeds United, the memory when you took me out to a Greek restaurant and we were smashing plates. Uh, we went from the ultimate professional watching you uh, watching you train and fight hard and, and Mark Viduka at the time and then to go out of that Greek restaurant, that's, that's, a, uh, that's a great memory of our time. I could go on forever, mate. It's been so good having you on this show. People follow Jacob's career. I'm telling you now, he is... He's destined for massive things in, in the sporting game, sporting administration or wherever it takes you, mate, because of those foundational things I think we've touched on, which every listener can learn. I try to do these podcasts, Jacob, as if someone's sitting here with us just chatting. As you know, nothing was scripted there, no question, no anything. We've just chatted. I could talk to you all day. But thanks so much, mate. Um, I really appreciate it and great to catch up with you. Thanks for having me on, mate. I've really enjoyed it and I'm uh, available anytime, mate, for you. We might do part two. Jacob Burns, part two. Sounds good. Thanks, mate. Good on you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of GTE with Hayden Knowles. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review to help grow the team.